Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the podcast that answers your political questions, but usually with political answers, which means it says something it's pre-prepared, has on repeat and often doesn't make any sense. This is episode 140, I'm Tian and Duyeb, and this week, as Conservative Ministers say that May has to quit by June, I feel that this is just further proof of how out of touch with reality they are, as that's how months are meant to work, idiots. Yes, it's been a quiet week for most of British politics, as Prime Minister and composite drawing of a sheep moving very fast, a chasm and the notion of emotional numbness, Theresa May, spent the Easter recess off on a walking holiday in Wales for the billionth time. Because, hey, it's not like her to vary her ideas, is it? On Sunday, May used her Easter message to the nation to stand up for persecuted Christians. Yes, once again, she selfishly only thought about herself and her imminent political crucifixion. But she obviously had an inkling of what was coming, because it looks like on her return, she might face another no-confidence challenge, just this time from grassroots Conservative campaigners, which sounds like they're just the ones with the biggest gardens, but they're actually from the local associations. 800 high-ranking officers within the party will take the vote and then no doubt keep her in after realising that the other possibility for leader is Foreign Secretary and useless rubber skewer Jeremy Hunt, who'd probably handle Brexit by falling down the stairs backwards while holding a baguette and announcing that he wasn't sure if we were in Europe to begin with. Meanwhile, Labour leader and man entirely composed of bits of tissue you might find in a trouser pocket after they've been washed, Jeremy Corbyn, spent his week posing in a canoe on dry land because sometimes the media needs a bit of help with this sort of thing. And he used his Easter message to ask for a renewed focus on the refugee crisis, saying that Jesus was ostracised, rejected and tortured, which of course was just his experience as a Jewish man in the Labour Party. While the main party leaders were away, the rest of the week's news was a mix of the tragic and trivial. In Northern Ireland, it was sadly the former, as acclaimed journalist Lyra McKee was murdered by a member of the new IRA while observing riots in Derry the night before the 21st anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. This sad event has shown light on why the Good Friday Agreement needs to be upheld, but also how helpful it would be if Northern Ireland had an assembly again, even though that's unlikely to happen because Sinn Féin won't take part in talks unless areas like same-sex marriage are at least discussed, and the DUP won't meet unless areas such as turning Northern Ireland into a Spanish Inquisition theme park are on the table. Probably. 
At the launch of the DUP's local government manifesto in Belfast for the elections on May the 2nd, DUP leader and woman with resting disgruntled face Arlene Foster told voters that every first preference vote for another unionist party runs the risk of dividing unionism. It does sort of feel like the concept of unionism is somewhat lost if you shouldn't back anyone who believes in it as they may not want to be in a union with others. We should all be together except you and you and you. It's like campaigning for better universal accessibility but with lower ceilings those shitty tall people can't get in. In London, the environmental campaigners Extinction Rebellion, who were interviewed on this show last week, check me out, shut down the city by staging peaceful protests for climate action now in Oxford Circus, Piccadilly, Marble Arch, Parliament Square and turning Waterloo Bridge into an actual garden bridge with trees and plants, probably for a fraction of the cost of what bloated spleen with eyes Boris Johnson planned to do, though to be fair he'd have blocked traffic much easier just using his ego. And what an impact Extinction Rebellion made. They hit all the headlines, they were in loads of news, they highlighted climate change and the problems with it to many, many people. Uh, More than a 1,000 people were arrested, although only 40 were charged, so it seems insensitive of the police to have wasted so much energy over the week. Many of the complaints against them were about the disruption and delays that they caused to services, seemingly forgetting that if the temperature ramps up even more due to inaction, the London Underground would be even more delayed if it was entirely flooded. And getting to work might be hard if you're not allowed outside because the air will melt your face. Mayor of London and the before images on a Just For Men advert shown only on daytime TV, Sadiq Khan, sent a message to protesters saying that London must return to business as usual, which feels a bit like telling firefighters to stand down as it's high time they got out of the way and let the fire get on with it. I mean, how does Khan not understand what protesting means? You can't protest by letting things just carry on as usual. How effective would that be? A group of people just holding placards saying, no, no, don't mind me, just carry on. Meanwhile, preparations for the country's most expensive team-building exercise, aka the EU elections, are now underway. An early poll showed that the Brexit party, led by collapsed sewage jelly Nigel Farage, are set to get the highest percentage of votes for their candidates, even though Remain parties collectively will get more, but none of those parties want to actually be collectively and work together. Have they been taking seminars from the DUP? Who knows? The independent group, aka Change UK, aka Chuckers Centrist Mums and Dads, aka Vanilla Lib Dems, have now been approved by the Electoral Commission for the EU elections, even though it doesn't look much like they have by the public. They're set to announce their 70 candidates for the EU elections this week, and the party's interim leader and sort of person who attends every school event, but only so she can tell people she has, Heidi Allen, said that Change UK are the natural home of the Remain Alliance. Natural in the way that, you know, a natural pine forest scent air freshener is mostly made in a lab with things that they spray at mice to make them vomit. Hearing Change UK at the natural home of Remain must be quite a shock to the Lib Dems and the Green Party who've both been doing that for longer and are both polling better than Heidi Allen's The One Show Party. Chris Leslie, a man who's naturally camouflaged when amongst corrugated iron or pigeons, said that a pact with the Lib Dems had never been in the agenda, which is weird as Change UK don't really have an agenda yet. Do they? Oh wait, maybe I read it and instantly forgot it. A questionnaire on the Conservative Home website, a place where you can find all your unfair trade furniture probably, showed that 62% of Conservative members were planning to vote for the Brexit party in the EU elections, because it turns out being a Tory supporter was just a gateway to the harder, more dangerous stuff. On the plus side, OG Brexit party UKIP are polling the lowest, which may be because they've enlisted far-right YouTubers as their candidates, including Count Dankula, who looks like if someone glued pubes to a baby's head, and is a man mostly known for teaching his dog to do Nazi salutes, probably in return for his dog teaching him how to lick his own ass. Also, Carl Benjamin, aka Sargon of Akkad, a man who looks like the reanimated corpse of Jeremy Beadle and is largely known for telling Labour MP and mouth with hair Jess Phillips that he wouldn't even rape her, something he defended as being a joke. 
UKIP leader and love child of Mrs Brown and a fairground waltzer, Gerard Batten, also defended it as satire. No, 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 no. A, the whole sentence insinuates that Carl Benjamin would happily sexually assault someone else. B, it's steeped in misogyny that he assumes his aggressive rejection is an insult. When you look at the haunted John Virgo that he is, it's definitely not. And C, if it's a joke, why is there no obvious punchline? And why at no point did he tell it like he was joking, instead of just sort of shouting it like a child who's upset but doesn't know how to cry for help any other? the way. Disgraced MP Liam the Disgraced Fox has warned that these EU elections will lead to 50 disgruntled and resentful MEPs. You know, unlike Brexit, which will just piss off even more of them. In other news, former Labour leader and shaved withering hyena Tony Blair has popped out of his political coffin again to make comments no one asked for again. This time suggesting that the way to combat the far right is to force immigrants to integrate more. Oh yeah, of course. I hadn't realised all this racism was the fault of immigrants for not adhering to exactly what racists want. It's so, it's so clear now, Tony. Why hasn't anyone thought of that before? Hey, Tony, maybe they could integrate like the Brits do abroad and refuse to learn the language and only ask for dishes they know in restaurants in case they accidentally order something disgusting and local. Hey, maybe they can integrate by seeing all the national museums that keep all their ancestors' stuff in. It's so stupid, and I'm fairly sure the first idea on Tony's list before his PR intervened was probably just to bomb all brown people before they get to the UK to solve the problem even earlier. Or it could be that there aren't any immigrants to the UK anyway. In reality, a Channel 4 investigation into Brexit campaign Leave.eu found that they'd staged videos of supposed migrants crossing the Channel and also attacking young women in London. But it was all set up, so the actors and boat in question had never actually left British waters. I mean, that is definitive proof that no one's coming to the UK to take our jobs if you have to hire British people to play immigrants coming to take our jobs. Crossrail has been delayed till 2021, and Extinction Rebellion didn't even have to intervene with that one. There you go. Looking forward to Sadiq Khan insisting Crossrail return to business as usual soon. The Elizabeth Line, named after the Queen, was due to open in December of last year, but now looks set to be three years late, so maybe, just like its namesake, it's trying to have two birthdays. Home Secretary and World's Worst Peter Laurie tribute at Sajid Javid made his first major speech on crime and asked for a shift in the government's mindset in order to tackle knife crime. I'm guessing he means that they have to start believing that young people are real people all by themselves and not just potential host bodies for some of the cabinet when they die. Javid said that he'd grown up on what some tabloids referred to as the most dangerous street in London, but other residents on his road all said that that was bullshit. I mean, this is the man that cancelled his safari because six men turned up in Dover, so chances are when he was a kid there was maybe one car accident or someone dropped a bit of litter and he'd probably tried to have them deported. In the US, the full Mueller report was released to the public with large sections redacted. Well, either that or Mueller loved to do Mark Rothko-style doodles on everything he does. There's a lot in the report that's interesting, especially the original suggestion that US President and angry pimple Donald Trump was absolved of collusion is not true on account of all the collusion that's highlighted in it. But one particular highlight, or low light, depending on how you look at it, is on page 78 of Volume 1 where it says, and I quote, When Sessions told the President that a special counsel had been appointed, the President slumped back in his chair and said, Oh my God, this is terrible. This is the end of my presidency. I'm fucked. Sadly, as with all things, uh, Trump was wrong. But hey, hopefully that'll be the phrase inscribed on his presidential grave if he isn't just thrown into a quarry somewhere. 
Speaking of clowns running things, Volodymyr Zelensky won a landslide victory in the Ukrainian elections and is now set to be president, with most media outlets referring to him as a comedian with no political experience. Which is incorrect because he, A, isn't a comedian, he's a comedy actor or a sketch actor. Look, I'm picky about these sort of things, this is my turf, back off. And B, he's played a character who accidentally becomes president, we all know that that's enough. That's well enough experience. I mean, if you've had an accident and one of the cast members from Casualty walks past, I mean, they'd at least be able to call an ambulance and make it sound like they really needed it to arrive quickly. So Zelensky should at least be able to make it look like he knows what he's doing, providing he learns his lines. And in 2019, I'm really not sure you could ask for anything more. And lastly, Shadow Home Secretary and woman who always asked to have her hair cut in the style of a medieval helmet, Diane Abbott, was photographed on the London Overground drinking a can of M&S Mojito, despite a TFL ban on alcohol, which was introduced back in 2008. And while this was a total non-story, Abbott apologised, which is baffling, as this sort of thing just shows absolute solidarity with the public, who feel like they should be drinking at all times in order to make it through the year. M&S have since sold out of Mojito cans, as people have bought them in order to support Abbott. And already, there you go, Labour actively helping restore the high street. I mean, if only another of their MPs could maybe strip off in the park violating decency laws before popping on some next gear or gap car keys, followed by, say, another MP graffitiing a wall using only paints from home base. And I reckon the party will fix the economy within weeks. Oh, hello. Did you have a lovely zombie Jesus weekend? Oh, I hope you did. Though I hope you also remembered that even though eating chocolate eggs is fun, the chocolate chicken population declines by over 200% at this time of year. So make sure for everyone you eat, you plant a flake in the ground to make up for it. Just, uh, you know, take some responsibility. I can't believe how sunny it's been, though I am now largely of the mindset uh, just to see it as enjoying the planet dying, which is miserable, isn't it? Oh, the world's ending, but I've got a nice tan out of it. Ugh, bleak. But I mean, Easter weekend is meant to be endless rain so you spend four days indoors drinking enough to die and then come back again and start over a la jesus how on point was last week's interview by the way i had no idea that i'd speak to claire at extinction rebellion before they made such an impact which was absolutely great um though i sadly didn't get to see any of it which was a shame as i'd really like to have gone um especially to waterloo bridge it looked brilliant there was a thing the natural history museum tonight that looked amazing um but i've been too busy uh, i spent my weekend fighting with ikea furniture uh, as we had several bits home delivered because we were sick of arguing in public. I'm pretty sure they should just add to each of their always vague instruction manuals a point where you'll definitely be swearing more than during the other bits, just so you can get some really good ones prepped. Still, it's all done now, and I now have one broken wardrobe and I didn't used to have any, so I think that's a win. I think. I also have this desk which this podcast is being recorded on, I hope you can tell just how much more professional it obviously is. No? You mean I called a plank of MDF a piece of galactic piss for nothing? Great. Just fucking great. Of course, now Vladimir Zelensky is Ukrainian president, I'll be avoiding all normal people duties like furniture smashing in order to focus on where I might be able to run for president. Um, I prefer a country where it's more of a ceremonial role, you know, just have to wear like a big chain and occasionally hand out a prize. But I'm happy to try anywhere that would be keen to elect someone who will mostly spend his tenure hiding in a cupboard tweeting. Does that sound like it would work for you wherever you are? Well, let me know and I will get a campaign together or maybe just hide in a cupboard tweeting a lot. But I'm definitely, I'm definitely into this shit. Um, thanks again for letting your ears visit this show and this week I'd like to thank Joanna for joining the Patreon and to Rob for the Kofi, both of which are hugely appreciated and if you want to contribute to my caffeine needs or actually this week I have to say I've even had a shandy 
I know, right? Don't tell my mum. Um, then you can donate to ko-fi.com forward slash bro or patreon.com forward slash bro and lend a helping grand. See what I did there? I tried some of that Darren Brown stuff and you thought I was going to say hand. I said grand. Your brain sort of would have absorbed the real word. And uh, I look forward to you leaving all your life savings to the show in your will. And then me getting upset when it turns out only the audio podcast itself can claim it, which won't make sense and will be impossible. Um, obviously, if you can't donate, then please do give the show a review on the pod apps or even just recommend it to someone you know or are vaguely aware of admin 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 um this week our kids politics show how does this politics thing work then uh, that i do with tat and spiller from simple politics that's at the lincoln drill hall on saturday at 2 p.m and is suitable for ages seven plus and families please come along to that i think most families in that area are obviously exhausted from easter holidays and doing far too many things with their kids come to this it's edumatainment it's um entercation it will be great then the following saturday i'm at macfest in lovely mccunlith in deepest wales have i said that right i probably haven't i never say it right um and I'm going to be doing a work in progress show at 2pm and that is definitely not suitable for children despite it being on exactly the same time as the kids show the week before um, it's funny how life works isn't it um, if you're at that festival at Macfest or you live in deepest Wales then please come along as I keep forgetting to plug it and it'd be nice to sell at least one ticket just one then I can skip the show and we can have an in-depth chat about the best things to shout at Ikea furniture that you've just broken um, the wardrobe was called a Kavinki so I kept saying Kavanka it's good huh isn't it it's good like really good I know right um, sorry I meant the link for those tickets is at maccomedyfest.co.uk and I'll pop it in the podcast info bit too. On this week's show, I will not be talking about Sri Lanka as it's too sad and horrible and even contemplating writing jokes on it made me feel like a terrible, awful person. Um, However, there is a look at the local elections on May the 2nd and where and when and who and why they'll be happening. And I also speak to EU policy expert Jonathan Liss about where we are with Brexit now that we have a temporary breathing time in order to actually work it all out. Yes, no Brexit things happened this week. What have I got on the podcast? Brexit. That's it. You have to just deal with that. Um, Also, uh, because not a lot else was happening and I want to watch Game of Thrones before Twitter ruins it. Let's just crack straight on into all that nonsense, shall we? Shall we? Yeah, do it. Look, I know you've probably been happily avoiding Brexit for the past two weeks. Feeling like that particularly boring yet scary wolf isn't returning to the door for maybe at least six months, and you've probably been nostalgically remembering all the other bits and pieces that exist within politics and jovially discussing them with loved ones. You know, there's a porn ban coming in July that most teenagers already know how to dodge, darling. Ha! Who was it designed for? Damien Green. Ha 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 ha. And then you'd both laugh and sup on an ice-cold cup of fizzy bovril. Well, hey you, I'm here to pop that goddamn bubble with a particularly blunt um, bubble-popping device. You see, having a slight break from Brexit means that this, the here and now, is a perfect time to ask someone who knows all about it to talk about it before it all changes and goes out of date again, despite being essentially the same thing again and again for the rest of our lives, just marginally different enough to ruin this podcast. So this week's Brexit fallout is also the interview and vice versa, as I managed to speak to Jonathan Liss on the one week when he wasn't in demand talking to everyone else about Brexit, and I still made him talk about it because there's no escape, and that's all there is. So try enjoying your fizzy bovril now, eh, chumps? Jonathan Liss is Head of Policy at British Influence, part of the Influence Group, a consultancy service that helps businesses access EU and UK markets. And so he needs to know quite a lot about both those things. Um, Jonathan previously worked as a senior assistant to Charles Tannock, a Conservative MEP who is the coordinator on foreign affairs and human rights in the European Parliament. Yes, I know I said Conservative MEP. I know it's the first time that's happened on this podcast. What's going on? Am I? Is it just age? Am I getting more right wing? No, look, hey, you might remember that Charles Tannock was the man who said that with what's happened after 
after the referendum that he was quite ashamed to be British in many ways and that no scenario we now have will be worse than staying in the EU. So there you go. Probably all right-ish, you know. Whatever. Anyway, uh, Jonathan is A, great on Twitter, and B, has written some good bits for sites such as politics.co.uk that I thoroughly enjoy reading. Um, So it was great that he had time to chat. I hope you enjoy, and here is Jonathan. Okay, so big question to start with, but is Brexit dead uh because some people are predicting that it is uh with all the delays um others you know are saying that the brexit party may get loads of votes in the eu elections where where are we jonathan what is happening what's going on <laughs> well i don't think brexit is dead um but it but it might be in hospital um let's put it that way <laughs> <laughs> um so i kind of i kind of feel like i think i suppose it depends on on how you think of it as being dead i mean no deal is dead I suppose we'd all be dead if no deal happened. So I suppose we're not dead, but Brexit might be. Does this make any <laughs> sense? Um, so, so basically, like, I kind of feel very optimistic. People, which is weird, because in my in my life, people are not renowned for being an optimist in, in the rest of my life. But I, people think I'm this like Panglossian kind of uh, hugely optimistic person when it comes to Brexit, even though. All the other, you know, Brexit commentators, you know, have been sort of going on about doom for the last two years, and I just kind of pop up saying it's not going to happen. Don't worry. Um, so, I, I for the last two years, I've said no deal is not going to happen. Everyone said, well, you're mad, and it's a legal default, and all this stuff. And I just thought it's, it's definitely not going to happen because politically, it just could never. Even if the government was crazy enough to. To, to drive it through, which for, for for a few weeks they in fact were, um, Parliament would try and stop that. So I kind of feel that the worst of Brexit is over. But because we're never going to get to that point again and the EU will never force us off the cliff if we don't want to jump. But when it comes down to whether we could get some kind of Brexit, i.e. through May's deal or through a softer um, Brexit, then that it, the, the risks of that are not and not sort of, they haven't disappeared. Like, there's still a chance we could have Brexit. I just think that there's a, a, a lesser chance now than before. Because the further we go on the process now with the extension, the more sort of Brexit fades away, if you like. It fades into the past. I think we, we're going to cross a, a really important milestone uh, next month with the European elections which is kind of like a new Rubicon. So now it'll, it'll become normalised, the idea that we're kind of participating in the EU. And that could be one of those unintended consequences that it'll just become normal, like it became normal that we'd extend. Um, so the 29th of March was rubbed out. Now it's becoming normal that we'll be in the European elections. And then uh, the idea of a second referendum or revocation could become much more normal as well. So I don't think it's... Um, I think probably there's still a slight probability... Um, that will that will uh, leave, um, but I don't know how that could happen because the parliamentary mass isn't there. Uh, the Labour Party um, isn't ready to um, deliver May's deal. The Tories aren't ready to deliver a customs union. So I still don't see how that could happen. But um, the chance of remain has never been like here. Does that answer your question? That was an incredibly long-winded answer. I'm so sorry. <laughs> No, it was great. It was great. It was exactly, and and I like the thought that we can sort of commentate on Brexit as though it's now in hospital. Um, whether or not it, it, it will get any visitors or get more well, cards, Farage, we'll have to Nigel see. Nigel Farage um, will be actually. You know what? Nigel Farage. Brexit's the worst thing that, that ever happened to the Brexiters because uh, it kind of for the first time they they couldn't 
have this dream anymore. The dream was now a reality. And we're seeing, it was a really interesting thing, that what we're seeing in the Brexit party is exactly the same thing that we saw with Vote Leave in 2016, which is they had to keep it vague so the dream could be kept alive. So they're refusing to name any of their policies, and they're refusing to explain how Brexit can be delivered. They're refusing to spell out the consequences of no deal, which is now obviously the, 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 the preferred outcome, even though that was never uh, even remotely on the fringes of the debate in 2016. But they are refusing to spell out their immigration policy, for example, because they know that if they do that, they will alienate people. And the, the key to Brexit is to be as vague as possible, um, because uh, if you uh, stay vague, uh, then you never have to deliver anything. And that's, and that's the problem with Brexit all along. But I mean, they're now. Uh, I mean, it's. I, I just think the fact they call themselves the Brexit Party shows how sort of vague <laughs> they are. Um, as I've sort of been commenting to people, that a Brexit Party is clearly one that isn't. You haven't planned it at all. And you haven't invited anyone. And <laughs> but um, it's. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, you know. Oh, don't they have that? Don't they have that new uh, verb to Brexit when you kind of say you're going to leave a party and then you just don't? <laughs> and then like two hours later, people are saying, "Why are you? Why are you still here?" I said, "Oh, I'm just. I'm just Brexiting." That's lovely. That's absolutely lovely. Um, but I mean, you were saying obviously that they're vague, but you know, these the polls are already saying they're going to do very well in the EU elections, and that Conservatives and Labour are probably not going to do well. It looks like Labour might do all right, Conservatives won't do all right, and Lib Dems won't. You know, I mean, that's going to cause some sort of change, isn't it? Or is it going to indicate where things should go? Or do you think that some kind of yeah. some kind of change UK? <laughs> That's a really good slogan, isn't it? Like, um, you're looking for some kind of change. How about some kind of change UK? Um, no, I, I, I don't think that... Um, I think that the Tories are going to be routed, and that is a, a really important part of this, because that's uh, something that everyone can agree on, and that's, you know, sort of, you know, joyful day throughout the land, etc., etc., because they're going to be... Um, Sort of, you know, reduced to a, a massive, um, a sort of tearful rubble, and that will be, uh, you know, very entertaining for everyone. And it could also spell real consequences of the party going forward. I think Labour will, will do well as well. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I've actually forgotten what the original question was because it's got carried away the whole change UK thing. <laughs> uh, well, it's just. <laughs> Well, it's nice that someone is, um, but it's. Uh, <laughs> I think you're the only one. Um, but it was. It was more that are we going to, you know, are the European election is going to give us an indicator of where things are going to have to go. Because if Brexit Party do say very well with with Labour next, and the Conservatives don't do well, is that? It's. I mean, I find it difficult asking this because I know that in previous years European elections, no one's really cared, and they're going to care this time. Right. Um, right. And right. This is this is actually a really important thing. I mean, first of all, the thing to say is that the Brexit Party is doing well in the polls of the moment, but they might be peaking already, um, because the moment that people really start to grill them about what their policies are, they'll flounder. Um, it could be that just they've got this sort of peak and that sort of Labour will come round. It depends on whether Labour um, comes out for a second referendum in the course of the campaign. That could really galvanise the Remain vote. Um, in terms of how significant these elections are, the jury's out. Um, I've, uh, for the last week or so, been of the view that actually it's not the massive climax that people are thinking of it as. Um, you know, this idea that if Farage wins and Brexit is... Brexit, you know, all systems go, people's, ref people's vote is dead, etc. I don't really subscribe to that, partly for the reason that you said that 
the European elections have often been uh, completely detached from domestic politics and vice versa. Obviously, this year is slightly different because it will be treated as a kind of referendum. But I think it really depends on the numbers. So if Farage, if Farage's party uh, wins the most seats, for example, that's obviously it's not it's not great, but it's it's about numbers as well. It's about the, it's about the numbers of votes, not just about the numbers of seats. If you have more than 50 percent of the population or the votes or the, the electorate voting for uh, Remain parties, including Labour, that, for example, would constitute a big win. But even if you had. Um, say, you know, combined Brexit Party, UKIP, Tories getting over 50% of the vote. I still don't think it's curtains for, for a second referendum. Far from it, because it's just an indicator of how many people galvanised by Brexit in that moment. Certainly, it won't have any bearing on the EU27 about how they see Brexit, like the optics in that sense are not, are not relevant because it won't change the government, it won't change... It, it, it won't change the hard politics around Brexit. I mean, some countries send actual Nazis to the European Parliament. So, you know, they, you know we've all got our embarrassments. Uh, <laughs> sort of a, sort of, you know, some awkward, awkward um, you know, things that we, that we don't talk about at dinner parties and that kind of thing uh, in, the, in the European Parliament. But where I do think it could be relevant is if um, Farage does very well and the Brexit parties do very well, and that could scare Labour MPs, for example, into getting behind a deal because they'll worry about their constituencies. But again, it depends on how well Labour does, if the Labour, uh, the Labour vote holds up, if uh, Labour returns um, the same number of seats or more seats. So there's lots of variables. It could be significant, it might not be. I mean, do you think that we're going to get to October and nothing's, and we're still going to be where we are? Or do you think, I mean, with the European election, possibly in for I mean, you know, is, is there a chance that something will be agreed on before then? Well... I mean, again, there's so many variables. I mean, people are now mentioning this idea that May might have a vote of no confidence in the constituency chairman in the Conservative Party, uh, which could, you know, so it's a curveball, which means that she could face a new vote sooner than we thought. And if that happens, then all bets are off. Um, some people think that May might have to go if the party does very, very badly after the European elections again. I don't see how that happens because... I think that woman will have to be carried out of Downing Street. She's not going <laughs> yeah. to resign ever. Um, so I, I don't see, I, I don't see sort of um, how the the deal will get through as things stand, because there's no incentive for the hard Brexiters to get behind it, because as far as they're concerned, um, her deal is as bad as um, is as bad as, as a long extension for some bits for some, remaining is actually better than her deal. Um, for the DEP, it's still, you know, the withdrawal agreement is always going to um, be a, sort of an absolute impossibility for what it does to uh, Northern Ireland in the, in the single market and also um, kind of uh, the, the backstop not having uh, a, an end point or being unilaterally terminable. And for Labour, obviously, um, they certainly don't have any incentive to agree a deal now, I think, because they will they stand to gain more from the European elections than the Tories do. So why would you let the Tories off the hook when they're about to go down to such calamitous defeat next month? Uh, and also, you know, the customs union, if, you were, if the Tories were to agree to a customs union, that would be a disaster for both parties because you'd have uh, this very unpopular government being saved by the Labour Party. Half of the Tory backbenchers would be up in arms and refusing to vote for this deal, maybe even wanting to vote against the government itself. 
in a confidence motion. And then, you know, the knight in shining armor is none other than Jeremy Corbyn. That is totally weird. <laughs> um, so I just don't see, I don't see how that would, that would work. I mean, it could collapse both parties from within. So there's, there are real risks for both parties in, in that. So I don't see, something's obviously got to give. Um, if there's an election, that will be the, you know, the kind of a, the precipitator for that. But if there's not a general election, then I think that uh, we'll have to coalesce around something. Uh, if it's if it's uh, May's deal with a revised political declaration, with a proviso that I just gave, or if it's a second referendum, but something will. I don't think that it's really sustainable to get to October and still have no idea of what's happening. But you know, the last three years have shown that nothing's impossible. Oh God, it's so. I mean, it's, it's so weird that I'm very pleased as an extension at the same time. Really wish it was over. Um, it's <laughs> it's a strange position to be. In. But the thing is that but the people say that they they wish it was over, and I always say. When you wish it's over, there's only one way it could ever be over. Well, actually, there's only, there's only one way it could ever be over, and that's if it never happened, because um, even if you were revoked now and remain, it's never, ever going away. So if you have a no deal, we'll be talking about it for decades, because we'll sort of kneecap our economy, and, that will, and then we'll have to go to, you know, on, our, on our knees back to the EU and ask to, you know, ask to restart the process, and that will be, you know, sort of a, a calamity economically and politically. If you have a May's deal, then that's just a start of the process. It's not, it's not getting rid of anything. It's not solving anything because the, the real Brexit starts now, trying to figure out what happens in phase two, what kind of trade deal we get, uh, what the single market relationship is. All these things that have been sort of kicked down the road for the last three years suddenly will have to be addressed. And so if, we, if she, she thinks she's had problems so far, just wait till we get to that point. And, of course, if we um, have a second referendum, if we revoke, um, then we go back to, you know, status quo ante with the Brexiters saying they've been betrayed, uh, we need our Brexit, when are we going to get our Brexit, and this is never going to end. So all this naive thinking that we can come together again, that we can somehow end this, I'm afraid it's never ending in our lifetimes. Well, that is awful. What an awful answer. Thanks for that. (laughs) (laughs) You deserve to. I don't want to be Jack Nicholson saying you can't handle the truth. I think you can handle it, and that's there it is. (laughs) I I didn't say it was a wrong answer. I just said it was an awful answer. Um, (laughs) There's no escape. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We'll be back with Jonathan in a minute, but first... You know what's happening on May the 2nd? Uh, well, yes, it is the anniversary of the Dostomeo uprising, but that wasn't what I was... Yes, it's also Indonesian National Education Day, which I'm sure is very important, but... Oh, is it? It's The Rock's 47th birthday. Well, okay, all right, maybe that's what we should focus on then, because I'd love to know what he's cooking on that day, though I reckon in massive cake or probably a yak steak or something. Look, stop distracting me. Right, on May the 2nd, of course, is the UK local elections, where 248 English local councils, six English mayors, 11 local councils in Northern Ireland, and just to mix it up, 39 by-elections for local authority seats. Obviously, that's not everywhere in the UK, because there were some local elections last year, and it'd be silly to do those all over again when those councillors have only just got that nice bum indent in their chairs. And then there are places like Cornwall that seem to have their own weird thing going on where they won't be having another local election till 2021 because they just like being difficult. Hey, look at us with our picturesque coastline. Maybe we'll elect our councillors whenever we get round to it and run out a sip in this tasty beverage and eat in this pasty on our sun loungers. Yeah, all right, Cornwall, don't rub it in. That's what you get. You get a terrible version of your accent. Ha! So the places that are having them, ha ha ha, I'm not going to read them all out. There are loads, bloody loads of places that are having them. But that loads does include Test Valley, which uh, that's not a place, is it? Or if it is, it's like a simulation of a place and it's currently a Conservative-run council. So if you are one of the AI people or perhaps real people with an avatar that live there, maybe vote them out for a younger bunch. You'll be able to understand how to defeat whatever the next threat will be. Minotaurs, aliens, bees, who knows? Maybe it's just a Sims type thing. And so go for whoever will make sure you have toilets in your homes and you don't just have to poo on the floor before getting sad. That's my one experience of The Sims. But hopefully, you will have registered to vote in your area if you're having one, and even if you're not, maybe you've registered just in case you are, but you aren't sure, and hey, you'll need it for the EU elections anyway. So why is this vote important? Well... Firstly, as with all local elections, the bins. Uh, It's important because councils are more and more deprived of funds, leading them to sell off assets in order to pay off for staff redundancies, as I mentioned on previous episode, and petty fines having a huge increase in income for them. Nearly 10,000 petty fines were issued alone by councils last year, with 60% of those being in Bedford, Peterborough, Hillingdon and Waltham Forest, the first two of those being up for grabs in over a week. So, if you don't want to get a public spaces protection order for putting down an A-frame sandwich board or school drop-offs or fireworks oh no wait I'm down with that last one actually no that one's fine then check your candidates and question them and see who might put a stop to it obviously apart from the fireworks bit of course fuck those whirly hot window breaking bastards but the cuts and lack of money mean council taxes rising and areas like social care and children's care are being hit so look at cities like Preston where the council operate on what's known as guerrilla localism which sounds a lot like they get large apes to sort shit out around the area I mean I reckon they deal with knife crime in minutes but actually it's all about localising services cutting outsourcing and keeping money within the city so that they can make more use of it. There may well be councillor candidates in your area with similar innovative plans, so do check them out. There's obviously local issues, but this time around, uh, it's also one of them that's got a bit more meaning on account of it looking like the Tories may be wiped out in a number of places due to, of course, you've guessed it, Brexit. 
Council leaders in places such as Southend-on-Sea and Peterborough are preparing for massive losses and we'll have to see what happens in major leave areas too. In Winchester, for example, it's a Conservative council by one seat, but Winchester voted to remain by a 60-40 split, so if residents go for national rather than local issues, it could be a Lib Dem win. And then they'll have enough people to do a five-a-side game. Amazing. Labour could also benefit from Tory losses, but sadly so could UKIP, especially as the Brexit party aren't running for local elections, what them being a one-issue party, and probably not knowing what bins are, as Anna Zialta Rees-Mogg, I guess, has a butler that she hands things to for him to throw at poor people nearby. The Lib Dems could also do well, but I mean, will anyone actually notice if they do, or just sort of remember that they're there? Maybe they'll sort of vaguely recall that there were once council seats that were up for grabs, but now they're not so... Sure, who really knows? The Conservatives have candidates in 96% of the seats, uh, Labour in 77%, which is an increase apparently, uh, Lib Dems in 53%, uh, also an increase, the Greens in 30%, and UKIP in 16%. So if you add all those numbers up, it doesn't really make sense because that's not how it's meant to work. But no one party can challenge the Tories in every single seat they're up for, so I guess fingers crossed they get taken down by some independents or freak weather or just loads of cock drawings on ballots. Uh, please note that wouldn't actually count, and if anything, it may just be seen as support for a UKIP candidate. There are also 1,700 independent candidates, some of whom are part of a local group, which makes the independent bit confusing, but it can be the best way to get people who actually tackle local issues, like the bins. I mean, who knows the bins better than people that actually have to put them out once a week in the same area? Okay, maybe foxes. Foxes probably know the bins better, but it's very hard to persuade one of them to run, especially in conservative rural constituencies. There's quite a few places that are really close between Labour and the Conservatives, such as Carlisle and Brighton. Uh, Dudley only just has a Labour majority at the moment, so that could change either way. And they could also gain Derby, Redcar, Cleveland, Trafford and Calderdale with just a few votes. Tories only need one extra seat in Scarborough and Tainbridge to win overall control. Lib Dems are set to do well in Bath and the Greens are putting lots of bets on Stratford-upon-Avon. But as always, who really knows how many people will turn up to vote for this sort of thing? How many will put national issues like Brexit over and above the bins? Will this mean things about the rest of politics or will it just be a one-off and maybe just mean things about this one election? Will it be a good warm-up for the EU elections and possibly a snap one? Well, that I can answer because yes, it will. I mean, why not get drawing practice crosses on a small noughts and crosses grid or maybe on amateur pirate? maps or any unmarked leftover easter buns you have lying around just so you're ready oh and if you live in the area of market deeping do vote for regular listener to this show ashley baxter an independent candidate and current councillor who, who definitely deserves to win his seat again bins and if you're not sure who is running in your area you can check at whocanivoteforco.co.uk which will show all the candidates in your local area so do that do it now do it now hurry up hurry up do it now there we go good and now back to jonathan well, I wanted to ask you sort of, sort of some, more, some more sort of nitty gritty, I suppose, of Brexit. You know, a Brit influence where you're the policy advisor, um, you advise businesses on accessing the European single market and UK market. And I can't imagine how stressful the last couple of years has been for all of you, a British influence. Um, but uh, how damaging has the changing of the leaving dates been to businesses in the UK and abroad? Because there's been a bit of news about how much companies will have lost. Um, are we going to see a kind of long term fallout because of losses that have incurred from plans never really happening is there going to be you know is, is there kind of a, a, a background story here where where lots of money's kind of disappearing that way i don't really hold much truck with this idea that um that the the, the extension is a calamity it's like saying well you knew you were going to die on that day and that was your certainty but okay well we're gonna we're gonna keep you alive for another six months so sorry if that's messed up your plans um so it, it's that kind of thing like uh, obviously you know businesses would rather have 
six months of status quo than uh, you know the abyss of a no deal cliff edge. Um, so I kind of obviously the, the problem is not the extension; the problem is Brexit. So you have um, investment drying up because people don't know what the relationship is going to be like after Brexit. So obviously the situation that's not helped by an extension, but certainly not hindered by it or harmed by either. It just means that businesses have a, a little bit more certainty about the time which they can make those decisions. Whereas, obviously, if you had a no deal, that would have made the decision for you because you just said, OK, well, obviously, we're not going to invest any more after this particular point. So, really, what we need to do is to either revoke Article 50 for certainty or to guarantee a transition. Um, but while we have an extension, I don't think that's a particular problem. As I say, the big problem is the idea that we can't really guarantee what's going to be happening after, say, 2020 or 2021. That's, that's a real problem. So, because there were quite a lot of reports at the time, I remember, remember reading sort of that with March 29th not being the date that certain companies had had to re-prepare or rework out when they were halting production temporarily and things like that. So that's that's actually not as big a deal as we should be, you know. I mean, look, I mean, obviously, there are, there are, each company will have its own its own kind of, you know, guidelines and uh, kind of uh, contingencies, etc. But uh, fundamentally, the issue is that there's an uncertainty about what happens after, certainly after what happens you know, in a no deal. Well, that's not really uncertainty. That's certainty. You just know it's certain death kind of thing. Um, but uh, there's an uncertainty about what happens in phase two of negotiations, what's our long-term... Um, what's our long-term economic relationship going to be and all that stuff. And, the, you know, the, the extension doesn't really change that. It just means you have a bit more time in the status quo in the kind of the waiting room, if you like. Sure, sure. OK. And in also sort of with the work that you do now, and you've worked for an MEP before, um, and, and I say this as someone who I entirely blame Britain for this, <laughs> but as, you know, as someone who's worked in the EU, do you think there's anything about the Brexit process that kind of reflects on how the EU should work? Because somebody I've had on this podcast before, um, who was an expert in, in sort of a trade resolution and things, said that, you know... It, if it's a democratic union, you should be able to leave it. And so is there anything we should take away from how the EU works and maybe how it should change in the future? Um, we can, of course, leave the EU. That's provided for in the, in the, tre in the Treaty on the European Union. Um, Article 50 says you can leave the EU. The question is, can you leave the EU without shitting all over yourself? Um, and that, <laughs> I, don't, sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this, but um, you can swear all you like. We, I should have mentioned I, that. It's, I'm, it's I'm very hard to talk about Brexit my way through the last twenty minutes. I know that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the thing that that's the thing that is um, is the problem. You can you can you can leave, and you can leave tomorrow. It just might well be extremely damaging. There's no law stopping you from leaving. And uh, I, I think if anything, Brexit has shown the has been an advert for the EU because it's shown how solidarity really works. Look at Ireland. Ireland, which is you know, a small EU member with a, a small economy compared to the EU 27 at large, and they have sacrificed their economic interests for the political interest of, um, of, of solidarity with Ireland, obviously for a very important reason about the, you know, the Irish peace process. But also because uh, it's a small country, and um, what would it? How could they possibly have thrown Ireland under the bus in favour of a country that was actually leaving the EU? So Ireland has been a much more powerful country for the last three years than the UK is. 
has been. And, that, and that's really important. And so it's, it's shown up that idea of solidarity and the EU has been entirely united until the last couple of weeks, entirely united, which is unprecedented in the EU. Because there are always divisions, but they've, they've played an absolute blinder. They play just the right amount of hardball. They've shown why it's so useful to, you know, have uh, to be in a club where people are looking out for each other's interests rather than being uh, one lonely country on the outside, even if it's a very big country like ours is. So I think that, uh, you know, they, they've, I don't know what they could have done better. They, they, they work to their interests. People complain, oh, they drove such a hard bargain with the, with the phase one and the phase two um, sort of a framework and timeline, etc. Well, of course they did because they had the power to do that. And when you give, when you when you have power, you use it. Um, they're using it to safeguard their own interests. Because in leaving the EU, we have told the EU that we don't need them anymore. Would they need us more than we need them, etc.? And so, of course, they're not going to look out for our interests. That's exactly what we've told them. We can look after our interests. They can look after theirs. It turns out that they're better at looking after their interests than we are at looking after ours. I mean, it is one of those sort of amazing uh, sort of kick in the face moments. I just think if the EU ends up being much stronger <laughs> because we've left, I think that's absolutely... I find that yeah, hilarious. That's, that's, but yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it, it was, it's not what we thought in 2016. You know, we thought that it could be an existential blow and they're very worried about that as well. And that's why they kind of uh, redoubled and they, they kind of they grouped together and said, we're going to, you know, sort of deal with this as a unit. And they've done, and they played an absolute blinder in doing that. And no one's now talking about uh, other countries leaving, and certainly no one's talking about the EU collapsing. Wow, it's, we, we were sort of the, the Robbie of take that of them. Uh, that's what it is, isn't it? We've, <laughs> we've gone, and they've they've become. Well, he went back, so it's all right. How long did it take him to go back? <laughs> like twenty years. That's it, about twenty years after a sort of oh, well, a successful but tumultuous career. Uh, this, but he had a no deal. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's it. Problem. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't give two years notice. <laughs> I sort of. I'm going down this analogy, realizing that I haven't studied Take That's Career Path anywhere near enough to uh, to enforce it. Um, so, I mean, is there? I, I, I you know, again, I, I'm asking this from a point of view of someone that didn't really want this to happen and is now sick of it. Um, was there ever a way to make Brexit work? I mean, you know, there's been so many. Suggestions of a Norway plus plus plus, um, uh, you know, and other other s- solutions and Canada plus and all these things that the EU may not never have agreed to in the first place. Um, w- was there a way that we should have done it or that we could still do it? Of course, that was to um, start with compromise in the very beginning. May's first mistake was to um, appease the the hard right faction of her party when she didn't need to. When when May became prime minister, um, she was had so much political capital, um, she was effectively invincible. And that was the point where she could have said to people, um, no one's going to get exactly what they wanted. Um, we are, we're going to leave the EU, um, but there was no sort of clear majority for any particular outcome. Um, you know, the, the campaign promised uh, lots of different things. Uh, we have a duty as a government to act responsibly uh, for the economy. Uh, we need to do this in, uh, evidentially, not based on on kind of a fantasy or what we might um, dream about. We have to do it sensibly, rationally, pragmatically. And that would have involved, you know, long months of consultation. Obviously, the political mood was febrile, but a strong leader doesn't necessarily go with the tide. A strong leader says, look, this is what we have to do. This is what is called for. This is a moment of, of great uh, national... Uh, 
danger, if you like. It could be a moment of great national opportunity as well, but it's a moment of great national change above all. And that has to be handled very carefully. We are undoing a relationship that has lasted for 45 years um, that has been integral to our post-war story. We can't just um, go on a whim here. And she didn't do that. She didn't have the strength or the character or the, or the courage to do that. And maybe not the willing either. And so, and so, that's, so that's not what happened. And so she kind of went with this uh, fantasy idea uh, that we could have all the benefits of the European Union without any of the responsibility. And that really has plagued her ever since. So if she'd gone with uh, Norway Plus from the very beginning, for example, single market and customs union, uh, that would have obviously safeguarded uh, the Irish border issue. It would have safeguarded the economy. It would have been a, a democratic disaster because it would have uh, effectively kept us in the economic influence of the EU, but simply taken away our democratic oversight of them. But that was, you know, that's Brexit. Great. Well, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, John. I feel like um, we both know where we are with Brexit and at the same time have no idea because it's impossible to know where we are, which is <laughs> it's always good. It's nice to have that clarification. Um, I was going to ask that apart from yourself, obviously, who all listeners should follow, um, who would you recommend uh, otherwise that, that, that listeners follow or read up on? I mean, who do you go to for your kind of information about Brexit and the EU and, and you know, politics? Who do you like uh, following and reading? Well, there are so many people. Um, it depends on whether you're looking for um, news updates and for kind of comment. Um, so I kind of I think Robert Peston is absolutely brilliant. He's my favourite political journalist. I think. Um, so I kind of I follow him on Twitter um, religiously, and uh, so he's for like the, the breaking news. And also, just some really great people, uh, kind of with, with breaking news. You know, people not necessarily in the same political political position as I am, for example. People like you know um, Ali Wickham and um, Tom Neaton-Dunn, Stephen Swinford, um, Sam Coates of the Times, you know, really, you know, Heather Stewart of The Guardian, uh, really, really good people um, who kind of uh, have sort of like running updates on what's happening day in, day out. As for kind of in-depth analysis, um, my friend Ian Dunt is brilliant. Most, uh, if you're interested in Brexit, you'll probably have come across um, him at some point. Um, from a legal perspective, David Allen Green, I love Raphael Baer in The Guardian, um, Marina Hyde, obviously, to kind of puncture, puncture the sort of pomposity behind uh, the Brexit ideas. Um, and uh, Jonathan Friedland uh, writes really well, Andrew Rawnsley in The Guardian as well. Uh, Matthew Paris in The Times, uh, I enjoy reading. And um, just there's lots of people with, with, um, with blogs, like Chris Gray, for example, writes a really good blog every week about Brexit. And uh, he deserves to have a bigger following than he has. And there are also just like really great people on on Twitter who kind of uh, who don't have uh, particularly don't who don't have sort of a media platform, but sort of write really really cogently on the subject of Brexit and sort of have a, and have great sort of following some of them as well. Thanks so much to Jonathan for having time in his one week where he absolutely didn't have to talk about Brexit to talk to me about Brexit. It's so very appreciated. Um, Jonathan can be found on Twitter at John List, J-O-N-L-I-S-1, and British Influence, where he works, uh, can be found at Brit Influence on Twitter or the website influencegroup.org.uk. Um, I don't have an interview for next week yet at the time of recording and only very limited time to interview one uh, or any for future episodes. So I need your suggestions for who to talk to and what to talk to them about. I mean, obviously, it should be a political subject and preferably one I haven't covered before or for a while but look if it all goes wrong I'll even take a non-political subject like biscuits 
oh wait, you could totally make biscuits political, right? I mean, aside from food shortages or Corbyn saying in 2016 that he likes shortbread but it's anti-sugar, which is very him on so many levels. I mean, that's the biscuit version of saying he voted Remain but is pushing for a Labour Brexit, isn't it? Right there. Um, David Cameron said his favourite biscuits in 2009 were oat cakes with butter and cheese. Again, indicative of a man who pretended to care about Scotland but in reality never paid enough attention to them to even care that oat cakes were a type of flatbread similar to a biscuit but not the same. I can't seem to find what May's favourite biscuit type is, but I bet she has her own recipe for biscuits that taste awful, but she won't offer any alternatives to guests. Anyway, sorry, what I meant is get in touch via at Palpolbro on Twitter, the Partly Political Broadcast group on Facebook, the contact page on partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk or email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Or you can insert your suggestion into a message to fit the religious holiday of your choice and when it rolls around I'll generally ignore it because I'll be too busy eating chocolate versions of cute animals and feeling sick while several billion people tell you you've ruined the true meaning of something that probably never had a true meaning in the first place while they eat chocolate chinchillas or chocolate baby otters. I mean it's probably just best to email isn't it? And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast. Thank you. No, seriously, thank you. No, 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 thank you. No, really, please stop. It's my honour. No, thank you. Thank thank you. But thank you, though. Yes, yes, I win. Ha, thank you. Thank you for listening to this weekly nonsense. And if you do enjoy it, then please give it a review, donate to the code for your Patreon, or just tell the world about it, preferably online or by snail mail, or even just hand deliver notes around your area. Trust me, you'll be more welcome than Jehovah's Witnesses or those people who really insist you might need a man with a van as though they saw you carry that very full tarpaulin back to your house. Sure, that was just how the, the wind made it look, just like it had a foot. Sure, buddy, sure. Thanks muchly to Acast for bolstering this show in its audio structure, to my brother the last sceptic for all of the beats, and to Cat Day for typing up all the linear liner notes. This will be back next week when Theresa May faces down the grassroots conservatives, but has to then face a challenge from various small conservative animal groups, and followed by Tory insects and money spiders, until a group of right-wing bacteria managed to remove her from number 10, but only by making her sneeze herself backwards out of the door as she's walking in. Bye. This week's show was sponsored by cans of weak cocktails on the transport system because how else are you meant to cope with all of this endless, relentless shit? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.